0: Our scripture reading this morning will come from Mark 12, verses 1 through 12, and also from Luke 20, verses 16 to 19. Hear the word of the Lord from Mark 12. And he began to speak to them in parables. A man planted a vineyard and put a fence around it and dug a pit for the winepress and built a tower and leased it to tenants and went into another country. When the season came, he sent a servant to the tenants to get from them some of the fruit of the vineyard, and they took him and beat him and sent him away empty-handed. Again he sent to them another servant, and they struck him on the head and treated him shamefully, and he sent another, and him they killed. And so with many others, some they beat and some they killed. He had still one other, a beloved son. Finally, he sent him to them, saying, They will respect my son. But those tenants said to one another, This is the heir. Come, let us kill him, and the inheritance will be ours. And they took him and killed him and threw him out of the vineyard. What will the owner of the vineyard do? And from Luke 20, when they heard this, they said, surely not. But he looked directly at them and said, what then is this that is written? The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. Everyone who falls on that stone will be broken to pieces. And when it falls on anyone, it will crush him. The scribes and the chief priests sought to lay hands on him at that very hour. For they perceived that he had told this parable against them, but they feared the people. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Be to God. If you're new with us today, we're in a series on Mark gospel called scandalous savior and this is one of those places where i feel like you need a you are here arrow to kind of put into your bible this is one of those moments where the chapter and verse divisions in the text really uh, do a disservice when it comes to us understanding the flow of what's going on here It says, he began to speak to them in parables. Who's them? Well, this is exactly the same people that we were looking at this last Sunday, which is to say the ruling elites of Jerusalem. This is the Sanhedrin representatives. These are the people in charge of the temple, the theological experts, the legal experts, the people under Roman authority who were governing Jerusalem. These are the leaders theologically. These are the leaders governmentally over Jerusalem within the Jewish community and they are in a confrontation with Jesus. And this is all taking place in the, in the last week of Jesus' ministry leading up to his, his crucifixion. Jesus has entered Jerusalem we think of Palm Sunday he comes in and they're waving palm branches they're laying their clothes in the road Hosanna to the son of David He goes into the temple cleanses it there's a cursing of the fig tree and of course the leaders begin to show up going why are you doing these things by what authority are you doing these things and so now we come to this text where Jesus is continuing that conversation with them he's dealing with these leaders and he starts telling them this this story there was a a man who planted a vineyard, and as soon as he said those words, they went, oh, we know this story, because he's telling about a text, a song from the book of Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 5, where it says God planted a vineyard, and the vineyard was Israel, and they they go, well, we know how this story goes. Uh, God plants a vineyard, and he he puts a tower in it, and he digs a well, and he wants to see fruit from it, and he comes and he looks for the For good fruit, but there wasn't any good fruit. But Jesus, in his telling of this story, has a little twist in the tale. Because the problem, as Jesus tells it, is not with the vineyard. It's not with the fruit. It's with the leaders in the vineyard. And they get it. It says at the end, they saw, they knew he was telling this parable against them. And they sought at that point to find a way to arrest him. And of course they would eventually. By the end of this week, you get to the end of Mark's Gospel, they've arranged for false witnesses, there are false accusations made against Jesus, He's arrested. So here you have the leaders of Jerusalem and they are not receiving Jesus as Messiah, but rejecting Him. That's incredible, isn't it? You might think that... The people who are responsible for everything that's going on in Jerusalem would welcome Jesus. You know, when you talk to people today, most people won't say a bad word about Jesus. Even if they're not Christians, they won't, they won't say Jesus was bad. But, He's good. He's a good teacher. He was a good man or something. I think you Christians go a little bit too far in your estimate of Jesus as God come among us. That seems over the top, but I wouldn't want to dismiss Jesus as a bad person. Well, C.S. Lewis rightly noted that Jesus inspired typically three responses, hatred, terror, or adoration, and he left no room for mild admiration. No one encountered Jesus and went, oh, he's nice. That's not what happened. And if your vision of Jesus is that he's only very quiet and non-confrontational, well, this text gives the lie to that. I don't know what your vision of Jesus is. When I was growing up, a little boy in the church, I think the first picture I ever remember seeing of Jesus was a very gaunt guy with very long hair, looked very feminine, and he had a sheep draped around his neck. And I remember thinking, I don't know if I want to follow that guy. I think I need somebody who looks more like somebody from WWF or something like that. Somebody with some buys and some tries and some traps. And that's what I want. I need somebody powerful. But Jesus, in the gentleness and humility of his heart, when he's dealing with the broken, is gentle. But when he's dealing with the proud... He is fierce, and that fierceness comes through here. He says the problem with the vineyard that God has planted, the problem with Israel is that every time God keeps sending his word to you, every time God keeps sending a messenger to you, calling you back to him, you don't receive his messengers. He gives them their whole history. I sent you Isaiah. I sent you, I sent you Isaiah. What did you do with him? You cut him in half. I sent you Jeremiah, you put him in prison. He goes through this story that these leaders know that every time God sent them a prophet, what did they do with the prophets? They rejected them. And then Jesus says, and now God is sending you his son. What are you going to do with him? And because he knows their hearts, he knows where this is going, and he says, and you've rejected him too. That might shock you that Jesus is rejected, but it shouldn't. In fact, if you read the Gospels carefully, you'll see that Jesus is regularly rejected by the very people you'd think would receive Him most. In John's Gospel, in chapter 1, it says, He came to His own, and His own received Him not. Jesus' life among us begins with a no-vacancy sign. There's no room for you here. Mary and Joseph keep moving along. His own... Half brothers thought he was mad and would have nothing to do with him. Finally, the religious leaders, the very people you would think would receive him and hail him as Messiah, they reject him too. Why? Because he's a threat. Jesus was a threat. I have good news for you this morning. He still is. He's a threat. What's he a threat to? Well, he's a threat to the powers of darkness. He's a threat to every aspect of our thinking or every attitude in our heart, which is contrary to the will and the purpose of God. He is on a mission, a search and destroy mission to look for all those things in our hearts, which are displeasing and destructive. And he goes after those things and we know it. And that's why sometimes we're thanking God for his presence and other times going, I don't know that I want to be near you. I don't know that I want you to deal with this. I prefer to hang on to this particular sin. But Jesus is a threat. He's a threat to our pride. He was a threat to these leaders. They knew that to accept him would be the end of their power, the end of their reign. And so they rejected them. But This is Passover week. And so Jesus then goes, it gets worse. I just tell you, in this passage it gets worse. It gets worse for these guys. Jesus then turns to the theological experts and he says, have you never read your Bible? Now that's as good a dig as you're going to get at professional theologians as you can imagine. Have you not read? Now then what he does is he quotes to them a psalm that they were singing that week. This is Passover week. So they sing together. Psalm 118, they're singing it together. And Jesus says, have you, have you not read? Are you not paying attention to the songs you're listening to? The stone that the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. He's standing in Solomon's temple. Well, not Solomon, the restored, the restored temple. Solomon's temple was destroyed. This is the restored one. And he says, the stone that the builders have rejected, the, the crooked stone, the stone that everybody thought was useless, the one nobody wanted, that one, That one is now at the top. It's the pinnacle. It's the thing that holds it all together. And when he said that to them, he was telling them about how God has always been at work in their own history. You see, there are a couple of things we need to get here. Just give you two things. Here's the first one. God makes a ruler out of the rejected. God makes a ruler out of the rejected. The stone which the builders rejected has become the chief corner. This is the Lord's doing, and it's marvelous in our eyes. You see, this is the story that runs right the way through the Old Testament, a story of a movement from rejection to reigning. You see it in the life of Joseph. Joseph has a dream. He's one of 11 brothers. And he has this dream that his brothers are going to bow down to him. He tells the the brothers his dream. They loved his dream. We're all going to bow down to you. That's a fantastic dream, they said. No, that's not what they said. They hated him. They hated Joseph. And so they wanted to put him to death. They, instead of doing that, threw him in a pit and then sold him into slavery in Egypt. Well, you know what happens through a whole series of events. Joseph ends up next to Pharaoh himself. Governing Egypt and storing up food for a starving world when a famine hits. The brothers go back to their father Jacob and say, yeah, Joseph's dead. Years later, when that famine hits, they have to go to Egypt and there's Joseph. They don't recognize him. He recognizes them. And he says, I'm Joseph. And they said, well, I just won't repeat what they said, will I? And he, rather than judging them, saved them. The very one that was rejected came to rule and by his rejection came into a place where he could save the people who rejected him to begin with. Then comes Moses. The people rejected Moses. Moses thought he could save Israel by killing one Egyptian at a time with his, with a stick. And the people didn't want him. We don't want this man to rule over us. He fly, he goes into the wilderness. He lives out there for forty years. God appears to him in a burning bush and says, "Go back over there, and I want you to. I'm going to use you to free my people." Moses goes back to Egypt. Passover ensues. The Exodus ensues. God takes the rejected one and turns him into the deliverer. Then King David, who's behind those words in Psalm 118. His story behind those words. The stone the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. This is the kind of stuff God does. He takes the rejects and they reign. David's father, Jesse, had a valuable, important VIP visitor to his home, Samuel the prophet. Now Samuel's been sent by God to anoint the new king over Israel. And so he says to Jesse, line your sons up. And so Jesse lines them all up and He looks at the first son of Jesse and he goes, That's the guy. And God says to him, That's not the guy. And so he looks at the second one, This is the guy. And God says, That's not the guy. And he goes through all the sons and finally he turns to Jesse and he goes, This is all the sons you got? And he goes, Well, well, there is one more. He's a, he's not, he's not so great. He's out there with the sheep. He's over there. We don't pay any attention to him. He says, Well, you better call him in here. And so, They call David in, and God says, that's the one. He takes the rejected one, and he makes him king. This is the Lord's doing, and marvelous in our eyes. This is what's happening in front of these leaders' eyes. God is taking the one that has been rejected, and he's going to move him to the top. But what does that mean for us? Here's the second thing, you see. God makes us accepted sons because Jesus was the rejected son. I have one more, he says in the parable. I have a beloved son. I'll send my son and they'll respect him. And they said, no, let's kill him and throw him out and then we'll make this inheritance ours. But Jesus says the rejected one is going to reign. He's coming to the head place. What does that mean for us? Well, in Jesus' rejection was the mystery of your election. Because something took place in these men saying we want to arrest Him, we want to put Him to death. That's exactly what they did. They succeeded in their purpose. But what was really going on behind the scenes? How was God at work in this? Well... Listen to Isaiah. He was despised and rejected by men. A man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, and as one from whom men hide their faces. He was despised, and we esteemed him not. Surely He has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed Him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. They looked at Jesus there on the cross and they said, He's done something wrong. God's punishing Him. Well, well, punishment was falling on Jesus. But not punishment for what He'd done. Punishment for what I'd done. He was pierced. For our transgressions, He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon Him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And by His wounds, we are healed. In His rejection was your acceptance. In the temporary rejection of Jesus, is the everlasting acceptance of you and me before God. Because He went to that cross. How deep the Father's love for us. How vast beyond all measure that He should give His only Son to make a wretch His treasure. How great the pain of searing loss the Father turns his face away as wounds which mar the chosen one, bring many sons to glory. Now what's your response to that? What's your response to the stone that was rejected that comes to the head? Well, this is why I included the reading from Luke. Luke gives a fuller version of this. Mark has a a short version of the Gospel. and Matthew and Luke expand on it a bit more. And In Luke's telling of this, he includes these words. When the people heard Jesus, they said, God forbid. And Jesus said, no, this is what God's doing. God's going to turn my rejection into the acceptance of sinners. And then he says this about that stone, about that stone. He says, you can either fall on the stone and be broken, or the stone will fall on you, and you will be crushed. Now, whenever somebody says something like that, I want to ask, is there a third alternative? But... Uh... There are. There are no more alternatives. You were singing a a few minutes ago, Christ alone, cornerstone. And you were singing and rejoicing. Yeah, He's the cornerstone. He's the cornerstone. What does that mean? It means you have two options when it comes to Christ the rock. Fall on Him and be broken. Or the stone falls on you and you are shattered. Like these leaders. What does it mean to fall on Jesus? It comes back to what Luther was saying in those 95 theses. Number one, the whole Christian life is a life of repentance. What does repentance mean? Jack Miller said, Repentance is collapsing on Christ, not promising you'll do better. That's so good I'm going to say it again repentance is collapsing on christ not promising him you'll do better how many of you have discovered that every time you promised you'd do better you did it our salvation our justification our sanctification our final glorification all of these things are in christ he's the cornerstone fall on him and you say but if i fall on him i'm going to be broken yes Fall on Him. Admit your brokenness. Collapse onto Jesus. Let Him receive you. Let Him hold you. Rest in His righteousness, which is imputed to you, given to you as a free gift. Don't reject Him like they did. The wonder of it all is that Christ's sacrifice on the cross is sufficient to save The people who nailed Him to it. Their rejection of Him led to their salvation before God. And that, if it's true for them, is surely true for you. How will God, who loved you when you were His enemy, not always love you, Now that you are his friend. And so, my friend, fall on Jesus. Don't think you can live your life in your strength, in your power, by your own insight, your own wisdom, by your own instincts. None of us are adequate for these things. We are broken. We are sick. We are wounded. But by His wounds, we are healed. Fall on Jesus. Let's pray. Lord, this morning, We come to you, O rejected and reigning King of kings and Lord of lords. And we're amazed that in the mystery of our rejection of you, we discovered your election of us. We're astonished that in our rejection of you temporarily, we found our eternal everlasting acceptance with the Father. And now, Lord, we fall on you. We confess our need for you, Lord Jesus. You alone are our Savior. Oh, send the Holy Spirit now and every day to remind us that we are yours. And our only hope is in Christ. Lord, we are broken. Heal us, we pray. Amen.